Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. This week, not the boldness of the gospel, but the grace of the gospel. The grace of the gospel. Listen to what he said. Because of the grace given to me by God, that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. Do you know what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10? By the grace of God, I am what I am. By the grace of God. He had an understanding of the grace of God that I pray tonight we gain. It's a word that we use in our faith, but I wonder if we realize it's a life that we get to live. By the grace of God, I am what I am. Now, before we go any further, I want to dig deep into our understanding of this term grace. Grace. Maybe you've heard the definition, God's riches at Christ's expense. But I want to ask you a question. Has anyone asked you for a favor? Anyone ever asked you for a favor? Okay, great. We can do a little interaction Thursday night. Remember, I'm using you to disciple the whole church. (laughs) Have you ever asked anyone for a favor? Has anyone ever asked you for a favor. Now, let me tell you what a favor means. It usually means that you've got a need, you're unable to meet that need, but you can't move forward without it. So because you can't move forward without it, you have to ask someone for a favor. Now, usually, you ask someone you trust. You ask someone that you love. Most importantly, you ask someone who has the ability to meet the need. Or you might just be desperate, and you'll ask anybody. You're on the side of the road. You don't know how to change a tire. Whoever drives by, for the love of God, please help me, right? You, can you do me a favor? A favor. Well, let me tell you something about my children. They don't ever call each other to ask for favors. They call me. When they need money, hey, Dad, I have a favor to ask of you. They don't call any of the other siblings. You know why? They're broke. They ain't got no money. They know that I have the ability. They know that I love them. They know that they can trust me not to hold it over their head for most of their life. So they will call me for a favor. And what this favor concept does is gives us a little insight into the word grace. Grace. Now, the first time we see this word in the Old Testament is Genesis chapter 6, verse 8. First time we see this word, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. He found favor. Let me remind you, this was a time when the wickedness of man was great in the earth. This is what Genesis 6, 5 says. And every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. 
That's why Jesus says, as in the days of Noah, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. What days are we in? We're in the days of Noah. And in the midst of this evil, Noah found grace. Now, the word that's used there is the word ken. Go ahead, try it. Stop spitting at me. It's the word ken. Now, in Romans chapter 5, verse 20, the Bible says something where sin abounds, grace abounds. So in the midst of all that evil, we actually see an illustration of the word grace. Noah found grace with God. It means to provide a favor for someone that you may or may not be in relationship. It's not asking a favor. It's this word meaning the giving of a favor. It's an undeserved gift. It's an undeserved gift for a specific occasion given, from an, to, given <coughs> to an inferior by a superior. Now, let me give you a good illustration. Let's say that you're in need of a house. and You just had your little prayer time, and you've got nowhere to live. And you express to the person next to you, I will be on the street tomorrow. I need to buy a house tonight. So I'm praying that the Lord will provide a place for me. Well, the person that you shared your prayer request with is actually a multi-quadrillionaire. I don't believe we have any of those in our church, so don't worry. (laughs) This illustration is just an illustration. So you express your need, no idea. The next thing you know, the person that you just spoke with hands you a check for $1.2 million for you to go buy a house. Who wants to go back to prayer? Just imagine for a moment. You see, the person with the money is the superior. The person that's in need is the inferior. And that person, out of their own heart has given you favor, has given you grace. Noah received grace, a favor from the superior to the inferior. In the midst of all of that evil, he received the favor of God. Now, God doesn't leave us hanging in Genesis chapter 6. He actually expresses himself a little bit more about grace in Exodus chapter 34. He actually defines for us what grace is. Would you go there with me? Exodus chapter 34. Exodus chapter 34. (coughs) We'll pick it up in verse 6. Let me fill you in on the story. Exodus chapter 34. I'll pick it up. We'll pick it up in verse 6, but let me fill you in on the story. The children of Israel have bowed down to a golden calf. Can you imagine the moment? God has just brought them through the Red Sea, and they think a, a cow did it, okay? So they are worshiping this cow. I mean, just imagine. What does the cow say? I mean, just imagine this moment. They're having a full-on avatar moment, worshiping this cow. And Moses comes down the mountain, throws down the tablets. I mean, it's not a great scene for the children of Israel. So Moses is a little concerned. 
He's a little concerned that God is going to abandon them and they are going to die in the wilderness. It's God's way to just get rid of the children of Israel. So God is just getting to know, is, excuse me, Moses is just getting to know God. So God wants to express who he is to Moses because Moses has a misconception about who God is. So in Exodus chapter 34, pick it up in verse 6. So the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, I'm going to let you know who I am. The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty. In other words, you don't say sorry, you don't confess, then you're on your own. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. So Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. Then he said, If now I have found grace in your sight, O Lord, let let my Lord, I pray, go among us, even though we're stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us as your inheritance." If I have found favor, since I have found favor, please forgive us, O Lord. And instead of abandoning them, God makes a covenant with them and gives them grace. He gives them what they don't deserve. Now, There's another Hebrew word to help us understand this, and God introduces it right here. We see it as the word mercy. But oftentimes, it's as well translated grace. You see, this is a different Hebrew word. It's the word chesed. This word chesed, it is translated into mercy. But there's really no English equivalent for this word because it's a word that's only attached to God. So there's no real word that can help us understand. Now, the word mercy is used to translate. The word kindness, the word steadfast love, it's really not one of those words. It's all of those words together. And what Kaseg does, it expresses God's deliverance and forgiveness for the undeserving. In other words, the Kaseg is God's gracious and and unexpected decision to restore and repair the broken relationship between God and man. It's completely initiated by him. Two Hebrew words that help us understand in the Old Testament God's way of grace in the Old Testament. Now, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The New Testament uses a word that is known as charis. Maybe you've heard that word before. It's the word that is translated grace. Now, this word was the word that the Greeks used to describe joy, to describe pleasure, to describe delight, to describe sweetness and charm and loveliness. If they saw a child running in a park, oh, Karis, 
Oh, that's so lovely. If they saw a beautiful flower, oh, Karis. If they watched an incredible play, oh, Karis. It was lovely. It was wonderful. They met a kind person. Oh, Karis. It was just a way to express these words about people. But it was also a very important word because it's the Greek word that heaven uses to talk to Mary. It's Luke chapter 1, verse 30. Take a look at the screen. Luke chapter 1, verse 30. Then the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found charis with God. You have found favor. You have found grace with God. Now, because this was the witness of heaven about the coming of Jesus Christ, the favor of God, the church adopted this heavenly disposition of favor as a description of the gospel. Because heaven used it, it must be what describes the gospel, the favor, the charis, the delight, the favor of God. So the unmerited Divine favor arising in the mind of God and bestowed on his people. This is a good working definition of grace. The unmerited divine favor arising in the mind of God and bestowed on his people. Now remember, we borrowed a term that heaven used to describe to Mary. And so Jesus... Jesus became the standard bearer of the favor of God toward man. Thus, when John was writing about the glory of Jesus, he said that he was full of grace and truth. So everything about Jesus exhibits the grace of God. And I wanted to start here before we understand the grace of the gospel Because with this backdrop, we'll begin to understand the grace that we find in the gospel. The favors that God has given us in regards to the gospel. Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. Let's take a look, if you can, with me at verse 12. 1 Timothy chapter 1. Verse 12. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who's enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying worthy of all acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm chief. However, for this reason I obtained mercy that in me, first Jesus Christ might show all long suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Now to the king eternal, immortal, invincible to God, who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. 
the great grace of God. Let's talk about a few of the favors that God has given us because of the gospel. The first we see is the favor of power. The favor. He's given us a favor. The favor of power. Take a look at verse 12. And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me. Enabled me. Now we're going to dig into this the power of the gospel, in a few more weeks. We're going to grasp it even more. But I want to detail a little bit. Paul was enabled. This word, it means made strong, strengthened, to be given vigor. God has given us the favor of his power. Paul was given power as a favor from God to do what he did for the gospel. Paul was not some supernatural human being. Paul was a mere man like Elijah, but he was given the favor of power. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 7, Paul knew it. Ephesians 3, 7, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God, given to me by the effective working of his power. This was, Paul was not operating in and of himself. Paul was operating in the power that God gave him. Paul knew that it was God. He was not left alone to do what God had asked him to do. And let me tell you, friends, neither are you. Neither are you. Going back to what we said earlier in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10. Look what the Bible says. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain, But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Did you read that? Paul didn't want the power that was given to him to be wasted. He knew that the power was given as a favor from God, and he made a decision, God's power is not going to be wasted on me. God gave the favor, and he took advantage of it. He worked harder than anybody else for the gospel because he knew that God had given him the favor of power. Do you realize we've been given God's favor of power? Don't waste it. It would be like the lights going off and you having a generator and choosing not to use it and letting all your food go bad. Think about that for a moment. No, I'm not going to turn it on. Well, why not? You have it. Well, I'm not going to. But you have access to power. But I'm not going to turn it on. I'm going to let all my food spoil. Well, why would you do that? Well, because I don't want to turn it on. You have access to the power of God. And Paul says, I'm not going to waste it. I've been given a favor, and I'm not going to waste it. I want you to see something else. You've been given the favor of partnership. The favor of partnership. And I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has enabled me because he counted me faithful. Counted. The word counted means to lead the way or go before. That's what the word counted means. And I need to let you know what Paul's saying. Jesus reached out to me on the road to Damascus. He put me in the ministry. He's using me to show a pattern of his grace and his mercy. Paul, the wicked sinner, got the favor of working with God, and he did not let this favor go in vain either. Church, can I tell you something? 
It's a big deal that God says, I want to work with you. We get to partner with the God of the universe. The God who said, manatee. The God who said, giraffe. The God who said, all of this water I'm just going to put on the earth. He says, I want to partner with you. I want to work with you. That's a big deal in my mind. That's a huge favor that I get to work with God. Look what Galatians chapter 2, verse 9 says. Galatians 2, 9. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, <coughs> by the way, that is sarcasm by the Apostle Paul. They seemed to be big people. Perceived the grace that had been given to me, they gave me, Bar- they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Did you catch that? Paul was given the favor of God to work with him, and Paul was not going to waste that either. The grace of God was evident in the Apostle Paul. James and Peter and John, when they saw Paul, they saw the evidence of the grace of God. They saw the sweetness of God. They saw the loveliness of God in his life. Paul later in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, he would call this grace that was evident in his life, he would call it the aroma of Christ. What do you smell like? J'adore or Old Spice? Because everyone knows when you're wearing Old Spice. Everyone knows. That's what everyone can buy at Target, Old Spice. (laughs) Sometimes these things just come to me. Just stay with me for a moment. What do you smell like? When I come in from work, and I've been outside all day sweating... And I, Andre and I, we just did a garden. I had to dig up all these roots and weeds and all of this stuff. And I wanted to make it pretty for Easter. And I almost killed myself before Easter for planting a bunch of lavenders. I couldn't believe I did it. So when I came in, I was like Pepe Le Pew. Like, I was not anything that you wanted to be around. But it's amazing when you shower and you... Use soap, and then you use a little deodorant, and you use a little cologne. Everyone wants to be around you again. When Paul came into a room, everybody wanted to be around him. Wow. He's so kind. His grace that was evident in him convinced the skeptics, you've been changed. You've been changed. Paul was the aroma of Christ. You see, there's a difference between the grace of God and the greed of the world. There's a difference of the mercy of God and the misery that the world gives. There's a difference of the kindness of God in someone's life as compared to the chaos of those in the world. There's a difference of the joy of the Lord in someone's life as compared to the jeering of the world. There's a difference of people that don't take this favor of God to be partners with God in vain. It's called grace. 
and everyone looks at it. Now, you might think, oh, that's the Apostle Paul. No, 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 you're missing the point. In Acts chapter 20, verse 32, take a look at the screen. Paul is speaking to the church, and he says to the church, So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. Now, word of his grace is just a big term for I commend you to the gospel. Because the word of his grace was the gospel that he gave which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Paul was not the only partner who partook of the grace. He commends us, the church, to be partners with God. We've been given the great favor to partner with God in the gospel. Paul commended the church to be partners in the word of his grace. Now this word commend, is a very important word to the first church. Take a look at Luke 23, and you'll see why. And when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit, same word, I commend my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. Let me tell you what Jesus was saying. Jesus was saying, I commend my spirit to you. I trust you, God, to resurrect my dead body and bring me to life. I commend my life to you. I'm entrusting my life to you. Paul was making it very clear that he was trusting God to raise up the church for the preaching of the gospel. I'm commending you. I'm entrusting you to God and the word of his grace. I'm trusting God to raise up the church to preach the gospel. We get to partner with God. What an incredible grace. Do we look like it? Do we look like it? The God of the universe wants to work with us. Now, let me tell you something about the church. We ain't perfect. Amen? Everybody say amen. I don't care where you are. Okay. We are not perfect, but neither was Peter. Neither was Peter. Do you remember in Acts chapter 10? He had no desire to go to Cornelius' house, so he kept on talking so they couldn't get saved. So what did God do? He, he had the Holy Spirit just fall on them in the middle of Peter's sermon to, to make him quiet. I mean, he had a pigs in a blanket come down before he would even go with the group. I mean, God had to do everything in the world to say to him, I'm trying to give you the favor of opening up the gospel to the Gentiles, Peter, but your moralistic behavior is keeping you from going into a Gentile's home. Peter. It's the kindness of God that leads people to repentance. Peter, do you have the aroma of Jesus? When you walk into the room, is there a sweetness? Is there a loveliness? Is there a kindness? Is there a gentleness that walks in the room with you? Or do people see you as the police? What is our fragrance? We get to partner with God. Now, we've also been given another favor. Take a look what Paul says. Go back from 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1, he says, He's counted me faithful, 
putting me, putting me into the ministry. Me, me. Do you know who I am? Do you know who you are? Putting me into the ministry. Let me tell you the favor, the favor of purpose. He's given us the favor of purpose. Let me explain what that means. There are several questions in life that every person longs to answer. Here they are. Who am I? Where do I come from? It's called ancestry and me. That They're making millions on this question. Okay? Where do I come from? What is my purpose? Every human being wants to answer those questions. Who am I? Where do I come from? What is my purpose? The gospel answers all three of these questions, gives us purpose. No matter the career, no matter the country, no matter the calling, the gospel gives believers their purpose in life. I'm defined by Christ. I know I'm a sinner saved by grace. No matter where I go, who I meet, or what I do, my life revolves around the gospel. He's put me into the ministry. It don't matter if I'm an accountant or if I'm a clerk. It don't matter if I'm a pastor or if I'm a cashier. I know my purpose in life. My career does not define me. God does. When you ask me, hello, how are you? What do you do? I say I'm defined by Jesus. That's who I am, and that's what I do. Believers are not in wonder. We're on a mission. We're not defined by what we do. We're defined by what he says. We're not concerned about our acceptance in the world. We know that we are the beloved. We don't wander in the wonder of the world. We focus on the mission that God has put us in the ministry. We know our purpose. What a favor God has given us. We're not wandering around going, who am I? What do I do? Where do I go? What college I go to? Where am I? I'm on purpose. Whatever college I go to, I'm there to give the gospel. Wherever I am in life, I'm there to give the gospel. And if I'm in Target or if I'm at work, I'm there to give the gospel. If I'm at the gym at San Pedro, I'm there to give the gospel. In fact, the only reason that I'm working out is so that I can give the gospel. My life has purpose wherever I go. Amen? What a favor God's given us. We're not in the wonder. We're on the mission. There's another favor given to us. Take a look. 1 Timothy chapter 1, that he put me into the ministry, although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. He has given us the favor of the pardon. We've been pardoned. Paul obtained mercy. Let me tell you something about Paul. He never forgot it. He wanted everyone to know the favor that was given to him of which he did not deserve. He never forgot it. Who would? Which one of you desired to go back into the muck and mire you were saved from? That's like saying you want to be back in middle school. Who wants to ever go back to middle school? I've never heard anyone say, I wish I could go back to middle school. Middle school was the worst. Remember, your face broke out, your life broke out, like everything about you just turned upside down in middle school. I tell our middle school people all the time, you are the best people in the world. Anyone that can minister at middle school, they are like my heroes. Paul never forgot it. 
Which one of you would forfeit the freedom and the peace and the joy that you found in Christ to go back into the muck and mire of the world? What relationship could tempt you or taunt you to go back into the world? On top of this, the church took the words of Christ very literally. Do you remember Matthew 18, the parable of the unmerciful servant? Do you remember that? Do you remember the guy was forgiven like $5 million? And then he goes out and beats up his friend who owes him a buck, right? Well, I want you to, that was a huge abbreviation of the story, okay? You read it later, Matthew 18. But I want you to see what the servants felt about the guy that beat up the guy for a buck. Take a look. It's Matthew 18, verse 31. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were grieved. And they told on the guy. You see, those that have been given the favor of the pardon are grieved when other people who have been given the pardon don't act like it. Does that make sense? When we see people in the church not acting like the people of the pardon, it should grieve us. It should grieve us. And in Matthew 18, 32, I want you to see what the master says to the guy that beat up the guy for a buck. Take a look. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, not you faithful servant, you wicked servant. Ouch. I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. You asked me for the favor. You came to me. You wicked servant. Okay, raise your hands. Who wants that as a title for all of eternity? Wicked servant. I gave you a favor, but you weren't willing to do the same favor. Gets worse. Matthew 18, 34. Take a look at the master. And his master was angry. God gets mad when we don't act like people of the pardon. He has given us a favor. And when we don't act like the people of the pardon, it gets him upset. That's pretty heavy. That's pretty heavy. And I believe, turn with me to Colossians chapter 4. I ask you to keep your finger there. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 4. I believe this is why Paul said this. Take a look at Colossians 4. I'll pick it up in verse 2. Colossians 4 verse 2. Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ. So please pray, we talked about this last week, that I would preach the gospel. <clears throat> for I'm also in chains, chains that I'm <coughs> excuse me, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Now take a look at verse five, key verse. Walk in wisdom toward the unbelievers, those that are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always, not sometimes, always be with. Grace. Paul says walk in wisdom, and let me tell you what he's saying. Walk in wisdom meant, remember what Jesus said? 
Do you remember what Jesus said? Put it into action. And then he says, let your speech always be with grace. Always act like the people of the pardon. Let every one of your conversations, every time you have a conversation, pronounce the pardon to other people. We have an opportunity to pronounce the pardon. They're guilty. And we, like the governor, get to pronounce clemency. You've got a death sentence on you, but I'm opening the doors. I'm removing the death sentence. Why don't you come on out? What death sentence inmate is going to stay in the cell? What are we afraid of? We get to pronounce as people of the pardon. We get to pronounce the pardon. What a favor that God has given us. It's the position of leadership. Only the governor or the president can give clemency. And God says, you're a child of the king. So can you pronounce it on people's life. Pronounce it on people's life. You're like the governor. You get to say no more death sentence for you. You're out. What a favor. We also get the favor of provision. Turn with me to, back, back with me to 1 Timothy. I want you to see this. 1 Timothy, it's a few pages over to the right again. 1 Timothy chapter 1, we'll pick it up there in verse 14. We get, the, we get the favor of provision. Now take a look what Paul says. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Now I want to break this down for you, this favor of provision. His grace is exceedingly abundant. Now, this word in itself is overwhelming, the word exceeding. It's the word, I'm going to try to pronounce it, okay? It's like supercalifragilisticexpialidocious, okay? Stay with me. Hooper pleonazo. Hooper pleonazo. Try to say that ten times. Hooper pleonazo. Hooper pleonazo. I mean, this is a Greek word. I'm telling you, it's like supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. It's one of those words. It's overwhelming in and of itself, this word exceeding. And let me tell you what it means. Hooper pleonazo. It means to superabound, to be more than enough, to have everything that you need. You see, if there was anything that Paul lacked before Christ, it was faith and love. He refused to believe in Christ, and he hated Christians. Violently and aggressively trying to end their lives. That was the Apostle Paul before Christ. Yet God granted him the favor of provision. And where he had unbelief, God poured out faith. And where he had hatred, God poured out his grace with love. The favor of provision. And from this man who hated Christians and wanted them dead comes our love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. The man that hated. Who can do this but God? What a favor he's given us that we can change. We don't have to be who we were. Now, once again, he would not take this favor in vain, but would become the theme of what he taught the Corinthian church. Take a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. Paul was not about to take this favor provision in vain. And what he tells the church For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. Let me tell you what Paul is saying. Hey, the Jerusalem church has got a lot of need, and I know you guys don't have a lot of money, 
But did you see what Jesus provided for us? So out of your poverty, can you still choose to give? Because Christ became poor so that you could become rich. His hope was to motivate them by God's generosity. Let me tell you about the church in Corinth. They were not a wealthy church. But he was saying was, look what God provided for us. And if he's provided for us eternally, there's nothing to worry about temporally. God will be your provision. Still be generous. Later, you know what Paul would say to the same church? In his same letter, chapter 9, verse 8, he would say this. God's able to make all grace abound toward you. Not some grace. All abound toward you that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. Paul's point is clear. God's grace can provide in abundance. Hooper pleonazo abundance. Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious abundance. For every good work. God has given us the favor of provision for anything he asks us to do, even if he says, go to Africa. He can provide superabounding faith for those gripped with fear. He can provide superabounding love for those that wrestle with resentment. He can provide superabounding hope for those that are in the depths of depression. The favor of his provision gives us everything that we need to preach the gospel. So that neighbor that you can't stand, in fact, the very thought of that workmate neighbor person just gives you a little cringe right now. Let me tell you what God can do. He can hoop or play a nasal you. Take a little squirt of that and you're good to go. Let me tell you something. He can provide for you a love despite the resentment that you feel. He can provide for you a forgiveness despite the hurt that you've gone through. The evidence of the gospel in your life is what will win people over. When we act like the world, we are losing. But when they lie, cheat, and steal, and we love and give hope and give faith, the difference will convince them there is a God. What a favor, his provision in our life. What a favor. Now, the last one's a hard one, and here's where we close. Take a look at 1 Timothy. We love this because we love the whole thief on the cross thing, but we don't like to live it. It's 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm chief. Oh, that's so sweet. Look what God did. So easy to read in the Bible. It's so hard to live. I'm explaining in a moment. However, for this reason, I obtain mercy that in me first, Jesus Christ might show all long-suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe in him for everlasting life. And then he breaks out with a praise. Now to the king eternal. Can you believe it? I'm saved. The final favor is the favor of pattern. The favor of the pattern of the gospel. 
You see, a pattern is a concise representation or a form of something to be made. So in other words, a painter will draw a sketch before they paint the painting. They'll just do something as a pattern for them to follow. A seamstress will follow a pattern to make a dress or a pair of pants. Paul is the pattern. He's the model. He's the replica of the gospel and the way that it works. And he is the last person that you think would get saved. What a favor of God that we can get saved. If Paul can, then we can. And if we can, your neighbor can. And if your neighbor can, your boss can. And if your boss can, the cable man can. The candy man can. (laughs) Who can make this up? (laughs) Never mind. We can get saved. Now I need to tell you something, and this is what we don't like. Grace is messy. When I went to the Y and they told me, ah, reason I told you the story. When I went to the Y and they told me how they had, were going to get this one girl to come, what do I, there's no seminary class that says how to handle that situation. What do I say? Now, I mentioned it here and you could feel the uncomfortability. Did he just say, Mojito and mimosa in church. Does he know my background? Does he know where I come from? Does he know the struggles that I have? Listen, church. We're very uncomfortable when it comes to the language of the world. And we should be but we can't be uncomfortable to go into the darkness and shine as a light. Grace is messy. When the Roman centurion showed up, do you know what Peter, James, and John did? Look at that Roman occupationist. Hey, Jesus, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. This is where Peter, James, and John are going, you give it to him. You just tell him his servant's going to die, Jesus. That's what I want you to do, Roman. I've not found greater faith in all of Israel. Go ahead, your servant's healed. Excuse me? To that Roman pig? Gentile woman, Seraphonician woman, Bible points her out. Gentile. Hey, Jesus, my daughter's sick. Peter, James, and John. It's a Gentile. Don't touch me. I'll be unclean. Jesus. He's called her a dog. She responds. Even the dogs will eat the crumbs from the master's table. Now, when he did the whole dog thing, Peter, James, and John, <laughs> look at the dog. 
But all Jesus was doing was exposing their fallacy. And he said, go your way. Your daughter is healed. What? She's a Gentile. Jesus is sitting down at the table, Simon's house. Woman comes and starts crying at her feet, his feet. What a mess. Now, if you're one of the guys sitting there, what are you thinking? She's a prostitute crying at Jesus, the single guy's feet. Jesus, don't give a rip. Because grace is messy. And he looked at that woman, and he exposed the sinful heart of Simon the Pharisee, and he said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. And she heard something that she longed for. Go in peace. Grace is messy. The leper on the road. Jesus reaches out his hand. Do you know what the Pharisees did to lepers? They were allowed to throw rocks at them to keep them away. I fear that the church of the 21st century is very much like the Pharisees of the first. We throw rocks at unbelievers to keep them out of the church so we can be safe. Jesus reaches out his hand to touch the leper. Now, Peter, no, 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 don't touch the leper. You touch the leper. You're unclean. We got to go wash. Like, we got to go do some, whoa, you touched the leper. Grace is messy. But messy people is the pattern of grace. Because Paul was a blasphemer. Great little story. Oh, look at the blasphemer. He got saved. But none of us want to deal with the blasphemer before they get saved. Paul was insolent. Do you know what that means? Defiant against the church. None of us want to deal with that. We want to wait till they get saved. Then it's a great story. We'll put them on a video. It'll be great. Church, in Matthew chapter 9, here's what Jesus said. He's at a party. Let me tell you who's at the party. Matthew's friends, tax collectors and sinners. (laughs) I love even the way Matthew calls them. These were my friends, sinners. So Jesus says to the Pharisees that came to the party. Now, they were at the party. (laughs) Go and learn what this means. I got a homework assignment for you. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. I desire the chesed and not sacrifice. I didn't come to call the righteous, but messy people to repentance. They didn't get it. His disciples were out picking grain only a few chapters later. They were getting some granola. Okay, that's it. That's all they were doing. 
On a Sabbath, they got hungry. They were picking granola, okay? It was the freshest whole foods granola you've ever had in your whole life. They're just picking granola, okay? All of a sudden, out of the grain fields, pop up Pharisee. Where were they? I have no idea. And I can't believe they are breaking the Sabbath. Jesus, Matthew 12, take a look. But if you had done your homework, but if you had known, this is only a couple chapters later, if you did your homework, I still desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. We've been given the favor of a pattern. Now we go, well, that's the Pharisees. That's not the church. (laughs) Romans chapter 2, verse 4, Paul writes the church and says this, because they didn't like the messy homosexuals. That was going on in Romans 1. God had given them over to vile passions. And the church is looking at them and going, you're right, they are vile. And this is what Paul writes to that church. Do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? And what he's saying is, you're looking at other people's sin, and you're saying... Ah, look at them. You're forgetting your own. And that all sin condemns us to hell. And it's only the favor of God that he pardons. And the pattern of God that he's willing to enter into the messy so that he's glorified. Close with this. We've got to be careful that we don't develop a moralistic behavior that forgets that grace is messy. Because if this church is going to grow, the last thing I want are transplants. I don't want people coming from other churches. I want to seek and save the lost. But I will never come in contact with the people that you're in contact with. So Paul says this. With this pattern of grace, if we choose to accept and enter into the messy, I'm not asking you to compromise. Because when Jesus was at the party, he wasn't carousing. He was ministering. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians. For all things are for your sakes. That grace, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. Let me tell you what Paul is saying. When you enter into the messy and someone gets saved, God is glorified and the church gives thanks. Hey, church. I meet people here every Sunday morning. Sometimes you'll see me come down and I'll hug somebody. 
because I know their story. And I know what it takes for them to get up out of their seat in front of a bunch of righteous, wonderful people and say, I'm a sinner. I know the addicts that walk forward. The rich business people who think they've got it all and realize they're empty. The husband that has beat his wife. When you see me break down in tears, you're applauding the story, but you don't know it. We need to be willing to enter the pre-story so that when we applaud, we are watching the favor of God on that person's life. Are you willing to take this favor from God and engage in the messy? It's a favor given to us that we get to be amongst sinners and stand as a light by the power of God and win people from darkness to light. That's a favor from God. Only God could do it. And only God would choose to use us. Look at us. We're a motley crew at best. Look at us. We're, I mean, we're just normal people. And God says, I want to use you. What a favor. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I'm so thankful for the favor that you've bestowed on us with the grace of God. <laughs> I can't believe you, get, you, you want to work with me. I know who I am. I just It overwhelms me that you counted me into this whole deal. And Lord, I pray personally that I never forget that. For I know there's been seasons in my life of this feigning righteousness. But my righteousness stands in you alone. And so, Lord, I pray that at Calvary Chapel, South Bay, we would not take the favor of God in vain. And we would labor more abundantly than they all. That Calvary Chapel, South Bay would be known as those that accepted the favor of God, acted in the favor of God, lived in the favor of God, and did not take it in vain. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.